0: Hey Journey, good morning, good to see you guys. My name's Chris, good job getting here in the snow, right? It's one thing we love about Bozeman and it's one thing we hate about Bozeman, I know that. So good job being here. Uh, We're gonna dive into a series that we're calling Hope in the Dark. But before we do that, I'd like to pray for us. So let's pray together. God, we thank you again that you would allow us all to arrive here safely this morning. I thank you for keeping us safe uh, as we travel. I pray that you would even begin now, God, maybe you've even already begun it, to prepare us, prepare our hearts and our minds and our, our lives to hear from you this morning. May we encounter you in, in new, fresh ways or, or maybe even in old, familiar ways, God. Uh, may we be open to meeting you where we are right now, where you might change us, you might transform us, you might speak something new into our lives, or maybe you'll just remind us that you love us, God. But but I pray that all together, we would we would come before you expectant that you would show up, that you would speak into our lives, that you would have something just for us. And God, Personally, I pray that you would give me your words to speak this morning, that this would not be about me, that I wouldn't be in the way of what you want to do, God, but that it would be all for your glory so that you might be made known, so that you might be glorified. Uh, We love you so much, God. In your name we pray, amen. So when I was in high school, I would go to my future wife's home, and we would play this game in her basement. All right, it's this game called the wet wash rag game, okay? The wet wash rag game. And so here's what would happen. She had this basement, right, like giant cement walls, 40 feet by 40 feet, right? You had to take a ladder to get down into the basement, okay? So we we had this space wide open. You can imagine that. And, And then what we would do is we would get these wash rags, and we would make them soaking wet, And we would take them down with us. It it turns out that uh, Kate, my wife, who I I later married, right, when this was just in high school. We weren't married in high school. We were just friends. And and it turns out her dad created this game when he was a fourth grader. I I actually just found that out after the 9 o'clock. He created the game as a fourth grader and passed it on to his children. And so what you do is you go down in the basement and you make it pitch black, right, like so dark, because it's a basement that you can't even see your hand in front of you, right? And there would be, I don't know, four, five, six of us in this space, once we all climbed down the ladder and the lights went off, and we're all holding one or two wet wash rags. And and the point of the game was to chuck them at people. Right? So like you would be in the basement and you would you would have to huck a wet wash rag and if you hit someone with it, you are out. And whoever was last, I mean, I guess it was a game of honesty as well, but right, whoever was last then was the winner. And the crazy thing about this game is that, that you would get down there and you'd wait, I don't know, like 20 seconds. So, so imagine that, we're all in this pitch black, cement walled basement, right? And you'd wait like 20 seconds and you'd count in your head before the game would begin and in, in that, like 20 seconds as you're at waiting, the anticipation, something happens in the dark where, where your senses just get heightened. Right, like you, you are fully aware of the things that are happening all around you. You start to think differently. You start to smell differently. Like you start to hear differently. Right, like I mean, we're high schoolers, so somebody had an odor in that basement, right? Like they, you, you could, you could just tell there was something going on, and you, your ears would be in tune with something. Just, just trying to pick out where the next wet wash rag might be coming from, right? And you, you could throw them, and if you missed, you'd have to try and feel around. So now you're, now you're crawling around on this basement floor looking for a wet wash rag so that you could throw another one. Hopefully you don't find a person, right? Like there's all of these things that happen when you're in the dark, when it's pitch black, and, and your, your senses are just maxed out, maxed out. And when we're in the dark, whether you're playing the wet wash rag game or not, when we're in the dark anywhere, right, we start to see and feel and hear and smell differently. And it's awfully difficult in the dark to rely on all the things you used to do in the light when everything's pitch black. The things you relied upon in the light, do not they're just not a whole lot of use in the dark anymore. And I, I think this is the case for our lives as well. The reality is this. Like a, a life with Jesus or without Jesus the reality is that we will spend time in the darkness. Like lengthy portions of our life could be shrouded in darkness. Maybe short seasons of reoccurring darkness are the common theme that we experience. Maybe we haven't even experienced the dark yet. It's coming. Right? Maybe, maybe we've been through a season of darkness and we're on the other side of that. Maybe we're in the midst of it now. I don't know. Right, but, but, but my guess is, like without a doubt, that there are handfuls of us in this room right now who are groping around in the darkness of our life. Our senses are heightened, but our hearts are often hurting. We are, we're just heartened by the darkness. And it's because of this feeling that we have in the dark, how we view the dark, that I'd imagine that most of us don't think of the darkness as something we'd want more of in our lives. We rarely pray the prayer, right, like, God, would you grant me more darkness? Right, like, that's not something that we say to him, that's not something that we ask for. We're not searching for the dark, right, we're searching for the light. We're not people who love endarkenment, right, we love enlightenment, Right? That that's what we want to experience more of. So what if we did this? What if, what if we flipped the script today, and we we made a move to actually embrace the darkness? Like, would you would you go with me on that? Couple, okay, yeah, great. That's usually the case when you follow people into the dark, right? Like, you, you, could, you could say with me, this 2005 song by Death Cab for Cutie, they sang, I will follow you into the dark. Maybe that could be your song for the day, just for the next 20 minutes. You would think that. And, and maybe you're like, no, I'm, I'm out, Chris. I'm not following you into the dark, crazy little man. So, you know, like, what, what, if, what if this? Maybe, maybe you're just intrigued enough. To to hear what God thinks of the darkness and why it might hold more value or more purpose or even more beauty than you ever imagined it could. Maybe you're just intrigued enough to follow me there. So let's step into the dark together and let's see what God has for us. And so as we step into the darkness, the first thing I want to do is I want to change our definition of darkness, Instead of it being everything negative, right, everything that we can't wait to get through, everything that we can't wait to get out of, what, what if darkness was more of everything I don't know, everything I can't control, or everything I'm often afraid of? What if that's what darkness was? Right, so it's not so negative. It's true, darkness is everything I don't know, everything I can't control, everything I'm often afraid of. But let's let that be our definition this morning. And as we think about that, there's this section in Isaiah 45. This whole scenario where God's a, appointing this guy named Cyrus to lead the Israelites. He, he wants him to be the leader of the Israelites, and so he starts talking to him, and he says these things to him. But in, in verse three of Isaiah 45, Isaiah records God saying this. Check this out. Isaiah 45:3. God speaking, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. So did you catch that? Treasures hidden in the darkness. Treasures in the darkness. Like you ever sing a hymn about all the great treasures we find in the darkness? Or you ever sing a song around here? You ever hear a sermon on all the great treasures you found in the darkness. You ever think about that? Right, well, congratulations. Today you will be able to answer yes to that question. All right, well, we're gonna gonna find some treasures in the darkness. And as we talk about that, as we flip the script on what darkness might look like, we're gonna talk about the treasures hidden in the darkness by looking at the darkest moment of Jesus' life. And so there, this is how it goes, right? Jesus is, is about to enter into this time in which he will be crucified, right? But before that happens, he just had this meal with his friends, and he says, hey, let's go pray. And so they go to this place, the Garden of Gethsemane, and guess what? It's dark. And so they're in the dark praying and Jesus goes off to be by himself to pray, and, and he starts to pray the, this, this prayer, this essentially saying, God, could there be another way? Like, like, I know what you're asking me to do. I know that you want me to go through this suffering that's awaiting me, but could there be another way? And he's praying so fervently, like we often do in the darkness. Could there be another way, God? Could there be another way? And as he's praying with, with so much passion, as he cries out to his father, he starts to actually sweat drips of blood. Like so much so, could there be another way? Would you usher me from this darkness? And at some point, something in his heart shifts. And he decides, no, this is it, God. The will of the father, that's my will too. I will follow you into the dark. I will do this. And that shift takes place. And it's not long after that Jesus was praying in the dark that a bunch of guards show up to arrest him. Which is crazy to me because that's, of course, when the guards would show up, right, in the dark. We think so often that the evil ones, right, the, the, those who are against us, they're the ones who own the dark and so they show up trying to claim that in fact they do own the dark and they arrest Jesus. And Jesus is like, why'd you guys come in the dark? I was just sitting down there in the temple every day in the light. Could've done it then. Right, he, he's aware what they think about the dark. he sets out to change that, of course, right? So they arrest him, and they take him in before the courts, and, you know, they do all the questioning and all of that, and thus begins the process of Jesus' darkest moment. They begin to beat him. They begin to mock him and shame him and torture him as they've whipped his back over and over again, they now get to this place, right, where Pilate's gonna decide if they're gonna hand him over to be crucified or set him free, and as he's trying to just be diplomatic about the whole thing, people are just screaming over and over again, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and at some point it just, Pilate can't do anything else about it, right, and so he hands Jesus over to be crucified. And as they continue to beat and torture and mock him, they give him this cross. And they say, you're going to take this cross, Jesus, the one we're going to kill you on, this torture device, and we want you to carry it up the hill where you will be crucified. And so Jesus puts this cross on his back, his ripped open, whipped back. And he begins to carry it up the hill. But the darkness is so so much, so deep that he can't even carry his cross anymore. And this guy Simon is, is ushered along to carry it for him because sometimes you can't make it through the darkness alone. And so Simon partners with him, and they carry the cross to the top of the hill and there, there they are, Jesus beaten, weak, broken. And they lay him on the cross and they nail him to the cross. And they stick the cross in the ground and they raise it up. And there's Jesus. In his darkest moment. Nailed to a cross. Looking down on all these people. But, But just stop for a moment. Who is he looking on? The one that so captures my heart is standing there. Probably actually kneeling there in front is his mother. Can you imagine the darkness overcoming Mary's soul, her spirit, as she looks on at her son being tortured and crucified, the darkest day of her son's life as she sits there and watches, the darkness that is now covering all of those who had followed Jesus all these years, thinking that this is the end, this is the darkness in which it all ends, we picked the wrong one. There goes our friend. It was so dark for some, they ran and hid in the darkness. And as Jesus is on that cross, struggling for breath, right? As the darkness overtakes him, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that not what we also cry out in the darkness so often? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here? Why have you abandoned me? And as Jesus cries out in the darkness, he breathes his last breath, and he says, it is finished. And he dies on the cross. Utter darkness. And then something happens next. As Jesus is there on that cross, darkness covering all of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And we'll pick up that story in John 19, verse 38. Afterward, right, which seems like a flippant word to use, right? Afterward. After all of that, I guess maybe there's not even a word to do it, but right? Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. Do you remember the story of Nicodemus? Some translations actually say the man who came to Jesus in the dark. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, by the safety of the darkness, because he does not know why he's actually going to talk to Jesus, he he knows that there's people who are against Jesus, and and he goes to Jesus in the dark, in the night, and you know who he finds in the night? He finds Jesus himself, and that's where Jesus says what is arguably the most famous thing that Jesus has said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He says that to Nicodemus in the darkness. That's what Jesus speaks. And so Nicodemus is on the scene with Joseph of Arimathea. And they, they get the, Jesus off the, the cross and Nicodemus has with them 75 pounds of perfumed anointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish Burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden. There was a new tomb, never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And so ends John chapter 19. They laid Jesus in the tomb. And then as John's writing the account, the next thing we find is in John 20, verse 1. And it says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. And now our account says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark. What are we missing? Saturday. Right? Which is a bummer. That's one of our favorite days. And we're missing all of Saturday. All I've got in my text is some space. What happened on Saturday? Jesus was in the tomb, right? So just imagine that. Let's, let's be a part of the story, is that okay? Right. Like imagine for some reason you snuck in the tomb which really at that point would have been a poor decision because you didn't necessarily know about the resurrection and the tomb rolling, you know, the stone rolling away from the tomb at that point. But let's say you sneak in there and you're in the tomb and Jesus is wrapped in linen cloth, right? They've buried him there and then they shut the tomb with this giant stone and you're in the tomb with Jesus. Pitch black. Pitch black. Utter darkness, and let's imagine that we were one of the followers of Jesus. So not only is the situation physically pitch black, but your heart is pitch black. The one you loved, the one you followed, the one you thought that had come to save your people is laying there buried, dead in the tomb. But what happens in the tomb? it's just, it's dark i don't know how all this happens right we don't know how this happens but at some point from the moment the stone went over the opening of the tomb to the point in which it was rolled away jesus came back to life in the utter darkness in the darkness of the tomb when everything had lost all hope it seems to me that god performs what what could be said is his greatest feat. He raises Jesus from the dead. The power of the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead in the darkness of the tomb. I don't know what time on Friday or Saturday or Sunday morning. I don't know, and I don't know if there was a flood of light or what. But at some point, Jesus is raised from the dead inside of the tomb. Could it be? that God performs some of his greatest miracles in the darkness of the tomb, in the darkness of our lives, that that's when God most works. Listen to this, right? This is John 20, verse one. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Even in the darkness, she finds That God has done something. God has done something. She's not quite sure, right? She's not even sure. She thinks somebody stole Jesus' body, right? She's She's a little freaking out, right? Because again, the darkness of her own life. And that just blows my mind to think that one of the greatest things that God ever accomplished happened in the darkness of the tomb on a Saturday. And there, are, there are, are numerous benefits for sure from embrace, embracing the darkness that will inevitably cover all of our lives. And so that begs the question then, are you willing to trust God all the way through the darkness? Or like, that's a heavy question. We could, we could sit here in these nice chairs when it's snowing outside and it's comfortable in here and say, yep, I will, I will trust God through the darkness. It's heavier than that. It's bigger than that. It's more of a life commitment than just a yes. Cool. And so I want you to actually ponder that. I want you to hold that question before you. Are you really willing to trust God all the way through the darkness? All the way through. And so as you ponder that question, as you lay that before you, have a handful of thoughts for us about the darkness. And the first is this. The darkness slows us way down. Way down. Right, when you end up in the darkness, if you try to move as fast in the dark as you moved in the light, you're gonna hurt yourself, You're gonna hurt somebody else. Like, let's just imagine the wet wash rag game for a moment. If I would stand up and run as if I would run in the light in there, I would either smash into somebody or smash into a cement wall. Not worth it, right? Not worth it. When it gets dark in our lives, it forces us to slow way down. And when we slow down, In the darkness, we realize that all of our external navigation systems that we typically went off of don't work anymore in the dark. Right, like all the things that you prided yourself on in the light, like your speed and your agility or your ability to process something in the blink of an eye, all these things don't work anymore in the darkness. You can't use those things anymore. The only things that you can use in the darkness are those that were already inside of you. The things that were already inside of you, that's the only thing that's any good now in the dark. And so in the darkness, building on that, right, this, this idea that, that you have to finally let the feelings that you've tried to outrun the, the things that you've tried to avoid, the things that you've tried to cast aside, the things that you've tried not to deal with, you have to let those feelings tenderize you so that you might be aware of what God wants to do and in, in through you at that point. Right, Because you slow down, it forces you to be in tune with something else inside of you. And all of those things that you tried to outrun, you can't outrun anymore because you can't run in the dark without getting hurt, without hurting other people. And that's the really scary thing about the dark and that's the scary thing for me about the dark is that it can hurt. The darkness can break your heart and you're left sitting there because usually you sit in the dark. Like that's all you can do. Right, like so I, I've heard it said that you, you might as well just crawl like a baby when you're in the dark because you can't get any hurt any more hurt when you're already on the ground. Right, like you can't fall down when you're already there. And so you're sitting in the dark with your heart in your hands, the broken pieces, and you're finally in a place to say to God, "Do anything you want with this. Do anything you want with this." And I know. That this idea of being broken internally in the dark is not sexy. It does not sell. Right? Like I, I, this will never sell. This idea of embracing the darkness will never sell like the beauty of the light. Right? But, but maybe, maybe this idea will appeal to those who are in the dark now. And who think they've done something wrong. Who think that God's abandoned them. Who think that they'll never find God again. And in this moment, they'll realize that God is with them in the darkness. And this idea to hear such a gospel as this. That the darkness is not something to simply get through. Something to get rid of. But that the darkness is where God lives. That could save some of us right now on the spot. That God is with us in the darkness. To hear that that might be some of the treasures that are hidden in the dark. That could save us here as we, as we just cry out finally, maybe for the first time, maybe never realizing this before. God is in the darkness. God is in the darkness. But let me say this, too. If you haven't been in the darkness, you will get there. Right? We all will end up in the dark. Following Jesus doesn't mean we get a free pass on experiencing the dark. It might actually mean we will experience the dark. Jesus himself does not avoid the darkness Jesus begins his ministry and ends his ministry in the dark. To experience the darkness is to be human. So let's be aware of that reality. And so I'm not sure what all of this would mean for you. Where you're at now, where you will be, where you've been. But maybe we need to stop asking God, To remove us from the suffering and the darkness. But instead, ask that we might find him in the midst of it. That we might trust him in the darkness. Like because maybe darkness isn't something we need to get through like a test or the flu. Right? That if only we could get over our case of darkness, we'd be okay. Maybe it's not like that. Maybe the darkness really is, as the scriptures seem to attest, the place where God dwells. God is also in the dark. Because here's the thing that I believe. The thing about the darkness is that we, we'd never have chosen our moment in the tomb. Right? We never would have said, this is where I want to be. I, I want to be dead in the tomb, whatever. I don't want to be covered in utter darkness. We never would have chosen that. But once we've had that moment, right, on the other side of it, we would say we would never give that back. Right, I'm, I'm coming out, I suppose, of my phase in the darkness, as I've mentioned to many of you before, right, when, when I lost a, a boy I coached named Grady, he passed away and it brought me to this place of darkness, a place that I still maybe have one foot in right now. And I certainly never would have chosen that Grady would have lost his life. But I would never give back what God's chosen to do in and through me, what God's chosen to do in and through the people that losing Grady has now impacted. What God would do through the darkness of my own soul in the lives of others and in the life of myself, certainly never would have chosen it. But I will never give it back. The darkness is, in fact, a place where God lives. And that's our hope in the dark. Let's go ahead and set stuff aside. And I just want to give you some space to let that settle on your own heart, your own spirit, your own soul, whatever that that means for you. Spend some moments in reflection of a God who dwells in the darkness, of a God who is is known to perform his greatest miracle, his greatest feats in the darkness, and think about the darkness of your own life, or the darkness of the lives around you. And maybe ask that God would make you aware of his presence in the midst of such darkness. And be reminded that he loves you so much that he, there's no place he wouldn't go, even to the darkest, dark tomb, to meet with you. Let's spend a few moments and I'll close this in a second. Continue to take this time. I wanna speak to, I guess, all of us because maybe there's some of us in the room right now who are in the midst of the darkness and maybe you've never thought or never heard or never let your heart or mind take you to this place where the, the truth is that God is with you in the darkness. And so today in the midst of your own darkness in the midst of your own tomb whatever that might look like you just want to affirm before God that you believe God is with you in the darkness and if that's something you're choosing to believe today would you just slip up your hand and that's that's you affirming with God God I believe you are with me in the dark I believe you are with me in the dark right hands up all over the room Affirming that, God, I believe you are with me in the dark. And then there's certainly some of us here this morning who have been in the dark, but we've been running the opposite direction. We've maybe never given God even a chance to speak into our lives. We've never even thought about the idea of crossing this line of faith and saying, God, I will follow you. I love you. I give you my life. And so maybe you're here today and you hadn't really thought or heard or let your heart go to this place where you hear the story of this man, Jesus, who loves you so much that he would endure the darkness, endure the suffering, so that you might have a way to have a relationship with him. His way of saying, this is how much I love you. Let me cover it. And not only that, is he willing to die But by the power of God, he's raised to new life, and he would long to do the same thing in your own life. Take what is old and make it new. Take what is dead and make it alive. And so if you're here this morning, and yeah, you're you're acknowledging that, that your life has been going the other direction. You've sinned, you've fallen short, you've broken down, and you need forgiveness. And you're choosing to say, yes, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Would you make me new today? I give you control of my life, Jesus. If that's what you want to say today, I want to give you the opportunity to affirm that as well. And if that's what you're choosing today, would you just be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? And that's you saying, yeah, I'm, I'm crossing that line. I'm following Jesus today. Yeah, see you over there. Yeah, right here. Yeah, see you. See you back there. See you right there. Yeah, I see you. I see you right there. Yeah. I see you. See you. See you. God, we are in awe of how much you love us that there is no place too far for you to come and meet us. We thank you for for those who've chosen to affirm that, that we do in fact believe that you are with us in the darkness, God. May we trust you. May we hold tightly to you. And may we let you change us in the ways you long to change us and make us new. And God, we praise you for those who for the first time are crossing a line and saying, my life is gonna be all about following you, God. And would you begin even now preparing them for the times in their life when life gets hard, when darkness overtakes them and that they would, they would hold firmly to the promise that you will then be with them in the dark. May we all hold firmly to that promise, God. We thank you that you love us so much again that you would go anywhere to meet us, that you love us no matter where we've been or what we do but that you also love us so much that you wouldn't leave us that way. Continue to change us, continue to mold us, continue to make us more like you, God. Would you always be our hope in the dark?